me and turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. I've been thinking the last several weeks, how cool would it be for Christ to come for his church while you're preaching about the end times? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a good way to go? I can imagine all of us going up together and I'd be screaming at y'all, I told you, I told you. <laughs> Matthew 24, before we get into this message, I want to tell you, you know, this is such a, a broad subject over thousands of years 1,800 plus scriptures about the second coming alone, and they intertwine. It's very difficult to take it in little bite-sized segments and allow it to make sense, make application, and connect to the other. So if you see any overlapping, it's because you can't untangle it. They're connected. So, you know, somebody will tell me, say, you said that last week. Well, it's connected to what I'm telling you this week, so... Um, Matthew chapter 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then, someone say and then, mark that in your Bible, and then, when is then? Tell me, after, what does it say? After the tribulation of those days. So when? After the tribulation. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You remember I told you the day of the Lord is divided in the rapture and the revelation. The rapture, Him coming for His church the revelation, him coming with his church. The rapture, my opinion as a pastor, is before the second advent. The, the revelation is at the second advent. After the tribulation, the second coming of Christ. We are sure of the timing of that because he tells us this. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 24. Then you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When the branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when you shall see all, mark that in your Bible, all these things, know that the end is near even at the doors. So when we go in a couple of weeks as Jesus tarries and we study all of Matthew 24, you will see he talks about the pestilences, the national wars, the racial wars, the uh, economies uh, coming apart, the structure of the world being shaken, all systems crumbling where there's anxiety and fear and famine and all those things, as well as the Antichrist being revealed. And Israel being restored to its land. He said, when you see all of these things, you know that the end is near. Okay. The day of the Lord is the end, is the end period, the seven-year period. But when you see all of these things happen, you know that the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ is near. Verily I say unto you, this generation, 
that has seen all of these things shall not pass away until all things be fulfilled. You remember I told you, before you seated this morning, remember I told you last week uh, or two weeks ago when we talked about dispensations, when we see the next dispensation on the horizon, it's easy to determine that ours is soon ending. Uh, The rapture and the revelation are very close together. They are separate. They are not the same. In the same way that the first coming is not the same as the second coming. But this we know. There is a day scheduled when Christ the Lord is returning to the earth. When he comes for us, it will be like a thief. When he comes to the world, every eye will see him. And everyone will recognize and acknowledge that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I just pray this morning for myself. I humble myself before you, Lord. And you know there's so much information. And Lord, I'm not as smart as most. And I just ask that you give me clarity this morning. I'm not looking to impress anybody. But if all I do is talk and it's not communicated with clarity, then it falls to the ground. Holy Spirit, help me today, I pray. Help me to uh, have the tongue of a ready writer. Let me be articulate and thorough and not confusing. Help me, Lord, with my, my mind to stay together and on track and let your people see you clearly and see your promises clearly and the promise of your second coming. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. All right, I've never used this before. I was going to put a chart up here for you and talk for a second in form of introduction, and I, I couldn't find mine, and then Scott Davidson dropped one off for me. You know, it was just a regular little one, and my friend Tim wrote me and said, I got one for you. I'm not sure if it's legal, but I got one for you. Man, this thing will take down a satellite. It's, so if I hit you, you're, you're gone. One eye's gone. So Char- <laughs> thank you, Tim. Charles, if you'll put it up on the screen for me. This is a chart from Charles Larkin, uh, his books, Dispensational Truth, his book on the second coming. And it's very quite simple. And this is how your pastor believes. I think the scripture is plain. Uh, You know, there are people, godly people, wonderful scholars that believe Christ is coming for the church uh, before the tribulation. Some believe he's coming in the middle. Some believe he's coming afterwards. But this much we know. He's coming back for his people. And he's coming back to the earth. So look at this chart here, if you will. I think I'll be easier to point up here and get out of the way. Do what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep it. Look at there. Man, that thing is not. You bought this. This is, this is like a weapon. It set fire to the screen if I held it long enough. All right, so we're talking about the two Advents today. In the first birth, Christ born at Bethlehem, the virgin birth, he came from heaven to Bethlehem, lived his life sinless, perfect, born of a virgin, and the suffering Savior ascended back to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God on high. And when he ascended, an angel, was it an angel or two men? Y'all find it for me real quick. 
It said, and, and, and when Christ ascended, it said, this same Jesus, angels, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner. Okay? So you're going to have to give me room just to kind of wing it. Uh, your pastor does not write his sermons out like some do because my mind uh, won't let me do that. But I hope I'm able to tie it uh, together here for you. When Christ was born the first time and ascended, every eye saw him leave. It was a visible, recognizable, understood thing that Christ was leaving this earth and about to, about to ascend into heaven. No blinding glory, no demonstrations of his own power. He just ascended. Now, on the Mount of Transfiguration... Do you remember he was there with two people? Who was it? Moses and Elijah. There was a glimpse of his glory there. And he was transfigured. The best I can discern what that means is he was, go, it was like a spinning, swirling God man. God man. He was, his glory was being seen and revealed. And here's two men, one of the old, uh, one of Israel and one typifying, um, well, one typifying those that die in the Lord and Elijah, one that has not tasted death. So at the rapture, we'll have those that have died in the Lord and those that have not tasted death. Just a correlation. Okay. Now, again, having stated, it's your pastor's belief that we the Lord comes for us in the beginning. We all agree that he's coming for us. So at the, uh, the rapture of the church, then I believe that's the judgment seat of Christ during that seven-year period. While the world is being judged for its ungodliness, we'll be judged for our works. That's, it would fit there. It doesn't have to be there, but it would fit there. And then the second stage, which I want to talk to you about today, is the Son of Righteousness descending from heaven to the earth. See, the first one, the first advent, had to do with the cross. The second has to do with the crown. So let me give you a few things this morning. Thank you, Charles. Let me give you a few things to differentiate. And they may be simple to you, but it's important. If we're fuzzy on the foundation, then the rest of it kind of piecemeals together. I want to give you the diff some differences between the incarnation and the revelation, or you could say the first and second advent, an advent meaning coming. In the first coming, Christ came through the womb of a virgin, and in the second coming, he'll come in the clouds of heaven, Acts 1. In the first coming, he arrived as a vulnerable baby. But in his return, he will come in full stature and with great glory. Blinding glory. So much so that when the sign appears of his coming, we don't know if it's just him. We don't know if it's, just a, if it's a cross. We don't know if it's an illuminated cross. But Christ's glory will be such that in the millennial reign, after the second advent in the thousand year period, which we'll talk about in a minute, there will be no need for the sun because the lamb will be the light thereof. My Lord and my God. 
Just put the sun aside. It won't be a, a, a light like we think of light so you can't look. We would have to be able to see to function. But it will light up the world. And when he comes, it's not going to be wondering, well, do you think that's a nova or a supernova? Or do you think that's a fallen? No, they'll know. The world will know that it's Christ the Lord. Only a few witnessed his first coming. Real quickly, who's, who witnessed his first coming? Mary, well, Mary and Joseph was there, you know. Maybe some kinfolk were there, I don't know. Some friends later, just a few. But look at the difference. In his second coming, everyone will see him. Luke 2 and Revelation 1. In his first coming, he was largely rejected. In the second, the second coming, we'll find him universally recognized and acknowledged as King of kings and Lord of lords. At his first coming, he was a lamb. At his second coming, he's a lion. That's right. John 1 and Revelation 5. In the first coming, he became sin for us and was judged in our place. In the second coming, he's coming without sin unto salvation, and he will be the executioner of judgment. Hebrews 9, 28. In his first coming, he planted disciples. In his second coming, he will harvest them. He will separate the wheat from the tares, those that profess salvation and those that find it in the tribulation period. The church will be with him. He will separate believers from unbelievers. And if you're doing study, and we'll, of course, get to this later, but have you read about Jesus dividing the sheep and goat nations? This has nothing to do with commerce. This has nothing to do with morality. It's how they treated Israel. He'll separate. So there'll be an uprooting of weeds and things that did not bear fruit. They will be cast away. There'll be a division of honor and dishonor. But in his second coming, it will be to harvest. And finally, his first coming opened the door to heaven. But on his second coming, that door will close. Now, you understand that in the tribulation period, people will be saved in the tribulation. But at his second coming, the opportunity to be born again. I'm not one to say that God does not offer grace in the millennium. Uh, there will be people that come to worship him and they will be forgiven. But the door to be born again will close. We've entered in through the only door. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also called himself the door. And the only way that we can come unto God. All right, Charles, let's go to the second chart, if you will, for me. Okay. This answers the question for me. Uh, that's why I, re I referred this book to you. Listen, when I refer a book um, that's not the Bible, here, here's the best way to read books of men. It's like ribs. Eat the meat and throw away the bones. It doesn't have to be everything. You hear people say, well, I, I believe that. I don't believe that. But you'll find that God enlightens people outside of the Scriptures to explain the Scriptures. I had a hard time understanding how the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of religious law could not recognize Jesus Christ. And this chart years ago made perfect sense for me. 
Look here. This is what the prophets saw. And think of it as mountaintops of Scripture, okay? They saw the birth of Christ. They, they might not have been sure all of what it meant, but they saw the birth of Christ. They saw the pouring out of the Spirit. Zach, uh, the prophet Joel, I'll pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And by the way, that pouring at the church at the time of Pentecost was only the beginning. The fulfillment of that Scripture in Joel is when he pours it on Israel. Pours the Spirit out upon them. So they saw this mountaintop. The Old Testament prophecies also see the Antichrist. They also see Jesus coming as the Son of Righteousness. But they did not see the valleys. The valley of the church. They did not see that. The engrafting in of the Gentiles. God did not reveal that to them. And they did not see the Millennial Valley. That's why when Christ came, there was a confusion. I'm going to keep this, by the way, Tim. Uh, talk, uh, thank you, Tim. It's mine now. I appreciate it. I like that. You can buy another one. You can get them online there. It's easy. All right, where was that? Um, the, the, the disciples did, did not, they were always asking him, when are you, you going to do the rest of it? When are you going to restore the kingdom? You remember, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And they did not realize, and we'll get to this later as well, that there was a gap in Daniel's 70 weeks between the 69th week and the 70th week that ran for several thousand years being a dispensation of grace where Gentiles like you and I were engrafted into the people of God. We who were not a people have now become a people. We who were outside the covenant of promise having no hope and without God in this present world and God engrafted us in and see they, they did not see that timeline that's why prophecy was hard for them because they did not have all the information the things that they saw would happen that a, a branch would come up out of Jesse uh, a lamb would be born a lamb slain uh, a virgin would conceive. They saw those things. And they saw his second advent. They even saw his sufferings in the scriptures, although they didn't understand all of what it meant. But they did not see the church age nor the millennial reign. Again, the millennial reign is the thousand-year period after Christ comes back from the second advent. So I told you that so we can now talk about the second advent itself sitting on that knowledge and understanding. Okay, the second coming of Jesus Christ, the revelation. What is the revelation of Jesus Christ? What is the second coming? It's the coming again of Jesus personally and publicly to the earth. The coming of Jesus perfectly and publicly to the earth. What differentiates that between the rapture? Where he lands. When he comes for the church, the Bible said, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, not the earth. See, regardless of what we've been taught and what daddy believed and granddaddy believed, the scripture tells us plainly how this happens. We meet him 
in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So it seems clear to me that the difference in the first and second advent there is that one of them, we meet him there. The other, he meets the world here. One is invisible to the world. The other is um, visible to the world. Let me uh, start here for just, or talk to you for just a second before I get to that point. I'm enjoying this. I hope y'all are. I love, I love the study of end times. Your pastor has been a student of it for many, many, many years. I want to be on the right side of history. I want to be looking. I want to be ready. I, I told you, I already told you today, I'm going to be the one screaming, I told you. All the way up, I'm going to be telling you. Y'all didn't believe me. I told you. I want to be the one. I want you to picture what the world is going to be like for just a moment. I'll take after the rapture, the chaos of millions and millions and millions, maybe billions plus people, I don't know, vanish. The drivers of automobiles and, and airplanes and the, the best of society, the, the morality of society, the excellence of society. Not that there aren't going to be excellent people left, but the best, gone. There will be such an upheaval and a chaos. I, I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago about how the world may explain that away, but there will be a horrible vacuum and tribulation will happen. Um, tribulation will soon follow. It is my belief that very, very soon after the rapture of the church is when the Antichrist, the geopolitical figure, steps on the scene. He is going to come out of the revived Roman Empire. There will be ten um, kingdoms, places of influence and power, and of those ten kings, the Antichrist will replace three of them. And he will come on the scene and he being he won't he will come and say, I'm Antichrist. He won't believe me, we have had many political antichrist on both sides of the platform and in our nation. Any that oppose the name of Christ and the and the call of Christ. But but he will confirm a covenant with Israel with many. It doesn't say he'll create it. He may be the creator of it. But he will confirm the covenant of Israel. That's when the seven-year clock begins. The unveiling of Antichrist. Because that day cannot come, the Bible says, until the man of sin be revealed. There's a great falling away and the man of sin be revealed. And at that time, great tribulation, I meant tribulation begins. Peril, uh, pestilences, accelerated Natural disasters, earthly disasters, chaos, racial wars, national wars, uh, the structure of society being broken down, borders being removed. It will just begin to be chaos. And then in the book of Daniel, you'll read that there's something that divides the tribulation from the great tribulation. You can The seven-year period's called the day of the Lord. And you can put a halfway point in the middle, tribulation great tribulation. This man will stand in a rebuilt Jer Jerusalem temple, the temple of God, and brazenly go into the Holy of Holies. There will be a reinstituted Jewish temple in Israel during this time, and they will start back the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice, and they already have everything but the building in place. They have all the instruments all the tools, 
They have the red heifer that they need to sprinkle the ashes of the red heifer. You can do a study and research on that. They have the Levites trained and set aside to do ministry in the temple. And at the three and a half year mark, this geopolitical figure is going to come on the scene and go into the Holy of Holies. Obviously, it will be advertised and online, if you will, or sent out. And he's going to declare himself to be God Almighty. Some scholars believe he's going to sacrifice a pig on the, on the mercy seat. But either way, that is like the turning point. The abomination of desolation spoken of in Daniel. And at that time, great tribulation happens. That's where the book of Revelation begins. You see the churches being talked to and about. Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Jesus talks to the things that have been, the things that are, and the things that shall be. He, he talks to the seven churches, which were types. Uh, or, or it was seven dispensations of church history. We later found out as the dispensations happened. We did not know that at the beginning of it. We just knew he was writing to those seven local churches. So, you know, the, the, the Lord is so wise and so perfect. He can speak to three things at one time with one sentence. He was speaking to the churches... In that region, Pergamos and Thyatira and Laodicea and Philadelphia, he was speaking to them. He was speaking about dispensations of time. We are in the Laodicean age where the church is neither cold nor hot and Jesus is sick of all of it. And then he's talking about the individual can be represented in each of those churches. One of them is barely standing and he needs to strengthen those that remain. So, in having said all of that, the, and then the hinge, pin, the, 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 the hinge pin that follows all of these things, as at the end of the tribulation, unless the days was shortened, there no flesh be saved. Then the sign of Christ appears in the heavenlies. And make no mistake about this. He's not coming for you, he's coming with you. To the earth. That's what the, Enoch said. I saw the Lord coming with, with thousands upon thousands of his saints. All right. Why is the return of Christ necessary? I told you the revelation of Jesus Christ is the coming again of the Lord publicly to earth. Why is the return of Christ necessary? It is necessitated by the declarations of Old Testament prophecy. It's necessary to fulfill the scriptures. Over 1,800 passages in the Bible refer to and or teach the second coming. 318 in the New Testament. How is it that, what is it, a third or two-thirds, I forgot what it was, of the Bible deals with prophecy and churches never talk about it? Because prophecy has to do, you may not like this, Prophecy has to do with Jesus, not them. It's the revelation of Jesus, not the future. It's Jesus. It's Christ-centered. And we want to know how to get to the next level, how to advance, how to be great, how to be you know, super, how to be wealthy. Like God is a slot machine. You put a dollar in and hope to hit. You know. But Christ's return is necessary to fulfill Old Testament scriptures. See, there's, there's, a, there's a weight, a bearing on, on the scriptures. 
if all of it's not true, none of it's true. If God lies, he's a liar. If he's incorrect, he cannot be trusted. So Christ has to come. His integrity is at stake. The scriptures have declared it. And God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. The Bible said heaven and earth will pass away, but not one punctuation mark in his word will fail. As surely as he came the first time, he's coming the second time. No questions, no ifs, no ands, no buts. Doesn't matter what Oprah thinks or any backslid preachers. Doesn't matter, oh, this is heaven on earth or this is hell on earth. No, hell is under the earth. Heaven is above the earth coming to the earth. Christ is coming. And he's coming with intentions and purposes. But why? I, we're talking about the why. See, I'm a, I'm, I may not know everything, but if I surround myself with people that do, and they know the why of things. I don't want just the answer. If I can get to the why. See, if I spend time with someone that owns their own business, instead of him telling me what he did, if I can understand how he thought of that, I'm that much more enriched when I understand the why. So in this morning's service, as the Lord allows, I want to talk to you about the why that he's coming back. To fulfill the scripture. You need to see it as a done deal. In heaven, it's already happened. It's a done deal. There's nothing that can move it. Listen to your pastor. Nothing that can delay it. Nothing that can hinder or oppose it. He's not waiting on circumstances or times He is orchestrating all things according to his perfect will. I love this this idea. So think of Jesus being born. And, um, you know, know, I've shared with you, I'm the uh, flashcard preacher. I'm just, I don't understand difficult stuff, but if you give it to me in a flashcard, I got it. The Holy Spirit illuminated this verse to me this way. It said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that are under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. When the fullness of time had come, I'm not trying to be crass, but here's Mary. She's going through contractions. Joseph's watching the monitor. Uh, In heaven, watch. She's crowning. And three, two, one. That's the way the Lord showed me like John, when the fullness of time had come, his head came out of her at exactly the moment God wanted it to. It wasn't her final push that did it. It was the decreed word of God that made all things happen. And that word has decreed that Christ is coming with great glory to the earth again and he's coming with such power when his foot touches the Mount of Olives it's going to split in half if there's any confusion of if he's coming meek and mild Jesus like your lawn ornament during Christmas no not this time all right this is good why is the return of Christ necessary 
It is necessitated by Christ's own declarations. The day of the Lord, the, the, the rapture, and the revelation. He said to his disciples, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go again, uh, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. Receive you unto myself. That's up there. Because where I am, I want you to be. And then he also spoke of his return. The Son of Man coming in clouds of glory. Christ's declarations. Why do we know that he's coming back? Because Christ said so. In the same way I know he's coming for me because he said so, he said he's coming back with me because he said so. He's coming back to the earth to rule and reign. He tells Israel that he's coming for them to defend them. He said it. So these are simple, but if you, if you write these out and study them and learn them, that foundation is unmovable. Well, he has to come back to fulfill the scriptures. He has to come back because his integrity is at stake. This, this is the issue of God's honesty and trustworthiness. It's necessitated by the ratification of the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll have to bear with me on this one, but uh, when, when I was studying and I found this, this list, I thought it was just so impressive, and I studied this out. John 16, 13 says, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, has come... He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself. He will glorify Jesus and show you things to come. So the second coming has to happen to validate the Holy Spirit that points to Jesus' mission. So the Holy Spirit, Jesus' integrity is at stake, and the Holy Spirit's teaching of truth to us has to be validated in the same way Christ made salvation available the Father made restoration available and the Holy Spirit makes illumination available he, he gives us truth he guides you into all truth and for those of us that were raised in kind of chaotic Pentecostalism and listen I'm Pentecostal to my toes I, I believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them for today, absolutely. Your pastor prays in tongues. I believe in all of these things. But the Holy Spirit doesn't point to himself. He points to Jesus. And when someone tells you, oh, that's the Holy Ghost, well, it seems like it's pointing to you. Or just a thought. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't come on you and you have times of refreshing from the Lord and victory. God, give us more of that, please. But the Holy Spirit's job, how do you know the Holy Spirit? Oh, ten people fell out. Uh, question? I would think if the Holy Spirit was here, he would cause them to stand up and live righteously and bring glory to Jesus, more so than the other. Not that that can't happen, but see his mission. I lost some of y'all, then you lost your victory on that, but it's just a, another way to think of it. His mission is to bring Christ, the central, bring Christ to the center, the centrality of Christ, the preeminence of Christ. And Jesus has to come back to validate his ministry, or he's led us into error. Now, this is when it gets so practical. I love practical. The return of Christ is necess necessitated by the humiliation of the cross. You can't leave my Jesus like that. 
you, I, I've heard modern, sad to say, Pentecostal preachers say Jesus was a failure because of his humiliation. I've heard it with my own ears, and I go, what book are you reading? What Bible? But, but what they're saying is, look how he went out. Pagan, ungodly, uh, perverse men smiting him and beating him. Pontius Pilate deciding on whether he lives or dies, thumb up or thumbs down. They pulled his beard, they spat on him, they mocked him. His humiliation, and he became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God. And God turned his back on him, symbolic of turning his back upon me and this humiliation. Well, Christ was resurrected, but there wasn't any glory there. Well, what I mean is, few people saw him. He appeared to the disciples. And he ascended. But the world saw his nakedness. And listen to your pastor. God ain't going to leave it like that. He's got to do something. His swan song was not the cross. Now listen. As beautiful as the first coming was. As necessary as it was. He's got to come in glory. He's got to come and say, here am I. And see, Israel's going to look upon him and say, there's the, the one in whom we pierced. Oh, Like a, a ball of brilliance descending to the earth. Christ in majesty. In the first one, he come riding in on a donkey's foal. And the second one, he's probably riding the stallion of stallions. Is that horses going to be in heaven, Kelly? And I ain't going to have to pay for them. Oh! Help me, Holy Ghost. I just felt it. I felt it then. Thank you, Lord. If he can make them, he can feed them. All right, why is the return of Christ necessary? It is necessitated by the present exaltation of Satan. I'm giving you practicals, but if I'm telling you, if you get these and write them out and build them, a lot of the end times stuff will make sense to you. Some of you are already putting two and two together. You're ahead of me. You, when I tell you, he has to because of the present exaltation of Satan, and you see in Revelation, how he takes Satan and throws him head over heels into hell, into the lake of fire. You understand that he says, you were the prince and power of the air. You did have rule, and Satan does. He is the temporary prince of the powers of the air. So much so that he offered Jesus, at the temptation of Christ, the kingdoms of this world. He showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And he said, I can give these to you. If they weren't his to give, Jesus would have said, you don't know nothing. He said, I'm under the temporary control, in essence, of all of the kingdoms of this world. And to you, I'll give them if you'll just bow down and worship me. And see, he is still looking for that worship from men, from governments, from the world. And you'll see him personified in the, the Antichrist who will demand worship, the false prophet who will perform signs 
pointing to the Antichrist to command worship. Christ has to come back to knock that joker off the throne. Can you, I long to see it play out. I lo, it's kind of like uh, you grabbing somebody's baby up and then that mama bear comes around the corner. My mother-in-law lives right behind us. If I, God help me if I hurt her daughter. I'm, hey, I'm five, nine. I, I, I'm just like Jerome Bettis. I weigh just about what the Bettis weigh, the bus. And no, it's on. You, oh no. I, she, she, I'd be the only boy in heaven in a wheelchair. If she got a, I'd be like, Grandma, Grandma did that to me. So Christ has seen what Satan, Lucifer, has done in this world to his church and to his people, Israel. And when he comes, not timid, not meek, not mild, he is going to grab him by the throat, put his foot on his head, judge him for a thousand years only to bring him out to judge him again for all time. Why does all this have to happen in Revelation? What's all this? Because he's got to come back to put him in his proper place. The humili- You think Christ's humiliation was something? Let me tell you about the, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan. You remember I told you that's the imitation trinity? Satan imitating the father. Antichrist imitating the son, false prophet imitating the spirit. When Satan is cast into hell, and you know, people are recognized in hell, just like Lazarus was recognized in upper Sheol before Christ emptied it out. Um, They're going to look over at Satan and say, that's the one that caused the nations to tremble? So regular Joe from, you know, McDonald's is going to look at the print, the former prince and the power of the air, he goes, you're the one? That's all you, that's all you got? Christ manhandled, you see at the cross, at the cross, he spoiled principalities and powers and mocked them and made a show of them. But this is going to be obliteration. This is going to be humiliation, only to be later eternally Destroyed for good. To live in a lake of fire, a bottomless pit, forever. And not annihilation. But Jesus will be publicly vindicated on the earth. It's necessitated by the present disorganization and despised state of Israel. There will be one more. It's continuing since time began. But there will be one more Horrible holocaust, according to the scriptures, and I'm not going to get into that right now. But that's what I was referring to about grandma here. If I did something to her daughter, Christ is coming back for what's been done to the church, the martyrs. Now, you can get mad at me. Again, this is not, this part, I I don't enjoy saying things that I know is going to make people mad. I don't enjoy reading their emails. I don't enjoy being set straight. I don't, I don't enjoy that. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to give an account for that. But it's your pastor's opinion 
that the scarlet, the whore that rides the beast in Revelation, the false religion is the Catholic Church. Drunk on the blood of the saints. Um, committing fornication with the nations. Um, substituting the gospel. Making co-mediators with Mary. and The worship of all those things. Now, I could be wrong. But Christ, when He comes, and, and how... The, 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 the world has treated the church and Israel and how false church. Do you know how many millions of Christians died for their faith by the Catholic church in our history? Now, I'm not taking shots at Catholics today. That their life is between them and the Lord. I'm talking about Catholicism, not the Catholic person. The system itself. The second coming is necessitated by the lamentations and groanings of creation. Doesn't the Bible teach us that even nature groans and travails? It's like the world is contracting, about to give birth. It feels like something has to happen. Something's about to happen. Well, it is. Jesus is coming for his church. Oh, here it is. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Second Second Thessalonians two. Thank you, Lord. I didn't realize it, but Second Thessalonians chapter two. It's eleven thirty. Oh my goodness! I just I enjoy teaching so much, y'all. I love preaching, but I love teaching too, and I don't get to do that as much. And can I go ahead and just put something in your hearing? It's not hope it doesn't sound like sympathy or I'm just going to lay all my cards on the table. If Jesus tarries, I would really like for us to have Sunday night service well, here in the sanctuary. But what's happened the last couple of times is no one came. And uh, I want you just to pray with me about what if we became since it's, there's nowhere in town, the place where people could go and get instruction and prayer and being prayed for and communion and there'd be a, a, a lighthouse. There's a difference between preaching to five or six people in the grill and having a Sunday night service. So um, just pray with me about that. I'm willing to do that again. Um, okay. 2 Thessalonians 2. Are we on the screens here, Charles? Can you put that up for us? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Oh, wait on. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. What's the mystery of iniquity is this. Satan's activity in the earth with sin and God's activity in the earth of salvation. Only he who now letteth will let, or he who restraineth, until he is taken out of the way. And then, say and then, shall the wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the spirit of his mouth, 
and will destroy with the brightness of his coming. How much clearer can this be? He which restraineth until he be taken out of the way, he's the one that keeps back. Now, some people have said, well, Pastor John, that's the Holy Spirit. Well, yes, the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, but he does not leave the earth at the rapture because if he left the earth at the rapture, then there'd be no salvations during the tribulation. Because you're born again of the... Okay. What this is, is the church is the organized, perpetual, focused force of the Holy Spirit. And it is the restraining evil. As, as carnal as we might be. Remember Lot? As carnal as Lot was, the angel said, we can't destroy this till you're taken out of here. When the, when the church is removed, then the wicked one will be revealed. And nature is groaning for that day. Okay, very quickly, it's necessitated by the supplications of the church. We're praying for his return. We're praying for not only his coming, but his coming to set things right and to rule and reign from Jerusalem. Even the church has cried out, and the spirit and the what? The bride say what? Come, Lord Jesus. It is necessitated to justice. He's got to come to judge the nations, to judge men individually, to judge Satan, and to institute global righteousness. He's going to lift the curse at his coming. Children will live to be a hundred years old. Peace will flow. The, the desert will become an oasis, and it'll be an Edenic revitalization. And there's going to be a stream that flows out of the temple when they see the temple of God descend from heaven. And it's going to be in Jerusalem. And out of the temple flows a river that will make glad the city of God. And everywhere this river flows, it brings life. It's going to be miraculous and glorious. And finally, it's necessitated by the expectation of the dead in Christ. Someone was talking to him before service and they were talking about the, the dead in Christ. You know, how, how is it? Are, are people with heaven now, Pastor John? Or are they just in the earth? No. I am a spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. My spirit communicates with God. My soul co communicates with you. My body communicates with the earth. This is hard. This is soft. When the body dies, there's no communication with the earth. But the spirit and the soul is present with the Lord. It communicates with God and man. But at the, the, the rapture of the church, the dead in Christ who are waiting on their glorified bodies are changed. If, they're, they're, if, the, if the person was blown away in a nuclear bomb, God's going to bring all the molecules together. How will he do that? How did he start with it in the beginning? I don't know. But he's going to bring all of what is necessary to, watch this. He's going to resurrect the dead and reconfigure the alive. And we're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trump. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And he's going to cause mortality to put on immortality. And we're going to say, oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? Because the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is coming back. He's coming back for you and to this earth. Does this make anybody happy? Oh, you better, you better set your clocks to it. You better start putting things on the other side. Like somebody saying a tsunami's coming, a tsunami's coming. Well, I'm going to just take everything out the bank and put it under my mattress. There's a tsunami coming. You better send it on to the other side. Y'all got one quick song in you? Y'all stand with me. Charles, you got that one cued for us? And if you don't know the lyrics to this, man, hey, just let it get down in your soul. Can you celebrate with it? If you don't know the lyrics, you can just shout along with it and say, yes, Lord. Play it for me, buddy. The one, the greatness of our God. From the dawn of creation, this world has been crying out for hope, for a hero to save us. We long for the supernatural. Prepare the way, cause heaven and earth are singing. Glory, hallelujah. Let the whole world sing.
If you would, join me in prayer this this morning. Lord, you are an awesome and mighty God. Let us not mistake who you are, Lord, with who we think we have as, as our hero or anything like that, God. Let us acknowledge you as being who you are, the omnipotent God who knows all things and is in power and control over all things. Lord, give us an understanding. We talk about how faithful you are. Lord, your word shows us your faithfulness, Father. You, you show us that. Let us understand that not just in our mind but in our hearts, God, knowing that you come first in all things, you have orchestrated all actions, and that you will finish the job, God. You understand the finish line. You understand what it means to cross that, God. We oftentimes, even in our own lives, Lord, have difficulty getting there. Lord, you not only take us there, you surpass it, Father. Let us understand that. And let us not walk around this world, Lord, thinking that we're defeated or that we have anything going wrong or that we have a problem, God. You have taken care of all of those things. Let us acknowledge your greatness today, Lord. Let us lift your name in praise and in holy worship. And as we go forth throughout this week, Father, let us walk in the truth that is you, God, and your victory first. And I pray these things in your Son, Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful week. Be God blessed. I've heard them say before to live just like you're dying, yeah. Wish I could say this how I am, but I've been lying, yeah. Lying in my bed at night, I want too many times I'm thinking.